Dose to Leadership Podcast, episode 142. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them. But I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible to make your smartphone smarter. Well, what an honor it is for me to have Derek Lido on the show today. He's a longtime global CEO, innovator, and a startup coach. He is widely known as one of the world's top experts on the electronics industry. His contributions range from patents to value chain applications that have forever improved companies as diverse as Sony, Samsung, Philips, Goldman Sachs, and IBM. Among his many accomplishments, he successfully built and started iSupply, a leading market research firm. In 2010, he sold this company for $100 million to global information leader IHS. Today, he's giving back by teaching entrepreneurial leadership and creativity, innovation, and design at Princeton and by working with young companies and aspiring entrepreneurs. He's a media commentator. Leaders' coverage to date includes the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Forbes, Bloomberg, The Economist, DK, Reuters, and Taipei Times, as well as many top bloggers. He's also the author of a brand new book, Startup Leadership, How Savvy Entrepreneurs Turn Their Ideas into Successful Enterprises. Derek, what an honor. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Ah, uh, hey, it's a great pleasure, and I've been really looking forward to this. Well, so, likewise, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, likewise, me too. I mean, this is so exciting to me. You know, I was telling, talking to you before the recording here, and I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show, and I've reached the topic myself. And, and uh, you know, I was kind of always bought into this myth early on when I studied entrepreneurship back in the late 80s, and I thought, man, I want to be an entrepreneur. I just assumed you were a great entrepreneur. You were automatically a great leader, but that's not necessarily the case, is it? Uh, no, <laughs> you know, just because you start a company does not mean that uh, you're going to take it to That's where right. it's uh, successful for everybody involved, both the customers and the employees and the people in your supply chain. And the vast majority of companies, um, you know, fail after they've been started. It's, right. it's much easier to start one than it is to make it into a value-producing and self-sustaining enterprise. Well, you know, I came across your book, and it's re- refreshing because um – it, it talks, and we'll get into this here in the show here, it talks about kind of the life cycle that everybody, every business has to kind of go through mm-hmm. for it to be successful. And it was very interesting because I could see myself in, in, in when I've worked for family businesses and small businesses, big bureaucratic businesses, all of them. And you can see it's just, it was refreshing to finally have it articulated and crystallized with me in front of me for the first time. So congratulations on this book. What a, what a great accomplishment. 
Oh, well, thank you. Well, you know, um, I, I love talking about the concept of, of leadership, using startups as uh, sort of the ultimate metaphor, because uh, in so many ways, it's the toughest form of leadership, because you start out with no constituency. It's not like you're, you know, elected into something or promoted into a position with existing assets. You've got to convince people from the start to care about, you know, what it is that, that you, you know, want to care about. And then, because an idea has to go through these, you know, various stages to evolve into finally a value-producing and self-sustaining enterprise, what you have to do as a leader can change dramatically from one week to the next. Right. And, and what, what you were doing so successfully, you know, for the last uh, two years now no longer, you know, is what you need to do to to uh, be considered a successful leader by all those that follow you. You know, what thing that really struck me out when I started reading the book, this whole idea of um, kind of the dichotomy between being an entrepreneur and a leader, and sometimes you have to have what you call the selfish selflessness. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, ultimately, to, to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to be selfish. You have to be driven to want to change the world to do it your way somewhere somehow. And that that's irrespective of whether or not you're an entrepreneur starting a for-profit or maybe an entrepreneur starting a very, uh, you know, uh, well-intentioned uh, non-profit, social entrepreneurial enterprise. You're, you're ultimately, you know, have to get in touch with your selfishness because that's the thing that is going to uh, attract people to you. The more selfish you are, the more they realize, hey, this person is driven to make it happen. But to be the leader, you have to be somebody that the people that follow you feel is going to make them successful. So to be a leader, you have to put the success of those that follow you ahead of your own. And so this is a very tricky balance. And it's a balance that, uh, as I you know, alluded to, uh, changes as you go through the, the different stages of a startup. And it's only by striking this balance properly is, is the idea, uh, you know, uh, matures, that you can s sustain your leadership, that you can sustain that energy and passion of the people that work, uh, that dedicate their lives to helping you uh, you know, create this successful vision. Yeah, I'm so glad that you, you put it down. You're one of the first persons I've ever talked to that that's articulated that. I've had so many conversations with prominent entrepreneurs outside the show as well, and we've talked about this, and, we, and some entrepreneurs, some fairly famous and well-known, you'd think they would be the, you know, cat's meow on what there is to be about entrepreneurship and he disagreed with me one time he said you're, you're either a leader or you're an entrepreneur you can't be both and I disagreed with him and, and what you put here makes a lot of sense to me talk to me a little more yeah. about that well so, so um, you know uh, I, I see it on your website several different places so I, uh, I, I know it resonates but ultimately there's very little that you can accomplish on your own right and um, and leadership isn't just leading the people that are you know working for you. It's also leading the people that are, are becoming your customers and becoming you know passionate about your product. They're being 
their 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 passion is emanating from you know what it is that's your vision, and you have a responsibility to them as well to make their experience with your product and service a successful one, and then you have the people that you know have dedicated their lives uh, you know to to you know uh, seeing your your vision fulfilled, and uh, you you have a huge responsibility to them uh, to to make this a, a worthwhile thing for them to do. And uh, if not, they will leave you and uh, and ultimately what happens with oh so many you know startups is that they you know start getting successful and then they start crumbling. And it's for, you know, any one of these these you know leadership reasons uh, that that happens. You know that uh, the Inc. five thousand you know, um, it, it's awarded every year to the fastest growing companies in, in America. And uh, the Kauffman Foundation did a study, and they went, went back on, you know, a group of Inc. 5000s to follow up what happened after they, you know, made this prestigious list. And, you know, the vast majority of them, that was their high point. You know, after that, they, they shrank. Uh, many of them had to be, you know, sold um, uh, and not in a fulfilling way to their um, to their founders, and it's because you know ultimately that that entrepreneur wasn't that entrepreneurial leader and didn't figure out how to strike the balance that ultimately could make their company truly value producing and self sustaining. Yeah, you talk about in the book uh, four stages that an enterprise. Uh, matures or, or kind of goes through, and that's kind of the requirement. That was very uh, educational for me. Talk a little bit briefly about those four stages, and kind of you were kind of alluding to that were this um, this list of companies where they kind of stop. They kind of never make it to the fourth stage. That's kind of the right. the rarity, right? So talk to me about those right. those four stages. Yeah. Well, so the first stage is um, you know you have the idea, and now you kind of try and you know, capture a customer with it your idea. And what what virtually every entrepreneur finds out is that the customers really don't want your idea. They may want some variation on it, or they may want something else that you can do, and that's called pivoting. And um, the next stage is um, a very exciting thing. Uh, you know, every day is different and challenging uh, for you and your team. And it's done uh, by leading project, a big project. A project is something that you do one off, and that uh, you know you've got to figure out what steps to take, maybe as you go, and change your plan around. And uh, so it can be a very exciting thing. Um, and so that first stage is customer validation, finding your first customer. But everything changes the moment you find your first customer because your responsibility now shifts to satisfying your customer, figuring out what it is that they like about your product and then you know, being able to reproduce that, do it over and over again. And that requires that you uh, develop the ability to listen to your customer and actually you know, capture uh, their feelings and their information, and you've got to figure out how to, you know, continually find new customers, continually deliver your product or your service over and over again reliably. So you're starting to create processes, rudimentary ones at, right. at first, 
you know, and rudimentary because you don't really yet understand, you know, uh, what your business model is going to be, what your true value is that you're delivering. And so there are things that work out, and so you're in this um, transition phase between pure project and then ultimately once you understand what value you deliver, what you understand what you can do to capture customers, then you go into a third phase where you've got to become as efficient yet flexible and scalable as possible in delivering what you know creates the value. Mm -hmm. So you, you start putting in more and more processes because you've got confidence in, in what your value proposition is. And, uh, and that is when all sorts of you know, problems can happen. Uh, many entrepreneurs fear that because then they're no longer sort of calling the daily shots. Right. It's not as fun. Um, uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, when you have the processes, you, the, the, the original founder isn't sort of the essential person anymore. Right. That's good. Yeah. But, but it's feared. And so most companies will stall out in, in this third stage or sometimes even in the second stage and uh, go no further. And that means that they're just, you know, issued a, a self-inflected death sentence on <laughs> right. right. And then that fourth stage, would, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, uh, how many, what percentage of companies actually make it there, do you think? Well, uh, the, the number of companies that make it there is about 10%. The number of entrepreneurs that make it there all the way through is about 1 in 50, about wow. 2%. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, you think about it. It doesn't you, have to be. It, 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 you're saying it doesn't have to be because of, of if we kind of study the leadership model, we, we, you would increase your odds is basically what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. You know, when you go through those steps, and even when I read it, obviously, and um, you think about um, – the early stages of Apple and then Steve Jobs leaving and then kind of coming back. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you can clearly see all those stages in, in that example, can't you? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, he, he was absolutely spot on brilliant uh, in the initial stages because, and he did things that were highly uncharacteristic of a, a typical entrepreneur. When he founded, you know, uh, Apple, by the way, it was all Wozniak's designs and the like, but, you know, it was Steve Jobs that went out and got the mentors for the company, right. people to, you know, give him his advice, and then he went out and he took their advice, and he, he didn't, he handed over control, you know, mm -hmm. to, to others that were experienced, that ultimately did a fabulous job of driving, you know, Apple to success. And, um, and Steve, you know, came up with other great ideas that uh, were important, but he, you know, he remained a, a leader, but not necessarily the boss. And that was uh, a very insightful thing for him to do mm -hmm. at that point. Talk to me a little bit about your background. You're looking, you're, you've kind of, you come from this, uh, technological background and you had huge success there. How did it all start for you? I mean, when obviously you were going towards, you were fascinated with technology. Um, when did leadership really start coming into focus for you or, or understanding that leadership was, was hey, there's, there's got to be something more here than just having kind of the pedigree of the degree and the knowledge of the, the technical yeah. knowledge? 
Well, you know, you, you get a PhD and you go out in the real world and you think that, you know, the world's going to listen to you just because, <laughs> you know, you got this great degree and, you know, stamp of approval that you know how to, you know, uh, figure things out. And when people out in the real world, you know, weren't necessarily eager to listen to me, let alone do what I analyzed was the best thing, uh, that was a huge shock. Right. And um, and so I, you know, stubbed a lot of toes at that point in time, uh, and and but I wanted to figure out what I was doing wrong. So, you know, I really, you know, listened and and had my eyes open and and you know was um, uh, you know very open to hearing, you know, what I could do better or, you know, taking advice or reading in books and, and taking it any way I could. And, um, unfortunately I had, you know, um, good enough ideas that people kept on, you know, offering me the opportunity to, you know, save that Money or improve that yield or you know <laughs> introduce that new product and uh, so I finally you know w- worked it out um, could have been a lot easier if I had had you know all the advice in one place there it only took me you know a couple of decades <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, to work it out yeah well I think you know a lot of times especially coming from the t- the t- you know you, here you graduate with an you know, electrical engineering degree and a PhD yeah. in applied physics. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of horsepower going up there, and you're surrounded by a lot of intellectual people. And, I, and I'm surrounded, and I work with a lot of engineers too, both electrical and mechanical and the aviation side. And that's when we talk about leadership, it seems like every time we're faced with a problem in business, what I see, especially on the engineering side, the people that have been around that the whole that they're trying to apply engineering type solutions which maybe need a more human element to it and then what i'm hearing from you is you kind of you learn through stubbing your toes and trial and error that's that's what you you came to to realize a couple decades later yeah and and of course one of the big epiphanies was that you know it it's all emotion right that drives action Right, so uh, you you can analyze all you want about the logic of the situation, but until you get down to the you know motivations of the people that you're working with and uh, the emotions that that surround you know the positions that you take, you, you're just not even in the you know the right dimension. And uh, for an engineer, you know uh, that's that can be. Um, you know, a, a real startling conclusion, you know, and forget the logic. Right. It's, it's dealing with people's you know, motivations and, and emotions that will actually drive action. When you founded iSupply, how, how, um, how prepared, how much, um, what's in this book? I mean, were you ready and you prepared for when you kind of started that venture? Well, I, I, I will say that I, w- I was pretty prepared for that. Um, I had... Uh, already up to that point, 25 years of, of um, you know, working in, in the tech world, making new things happen in the world for the first time, maybe not in my own company, but uh, with growing responsibility. And so, uh, you know, created new divisions and uh, new product lines and, and the like. 
uh, and had had a chance to work out a lot of these um, these things that I talk about in the book, and also had financial success so that I could create a company and uh, put my money where my mouth was, so to speak. Uh, but what I wasn't prepared for was uh, you know, the the tumultuous uh, environment. Uh, and the environmental change that impacts a small company so much more profoundly than it uh, did the public company that I was running. Mm. Um, because literally every change is life-threatening to the entire institution. And to have to go and weather the dot-com bubble burst and then the 9-11 you know, tragedy and sure. its impact on the world markets and then, you know, weather and, and prosper through the Lehman Brothers financial collapse. Um, you know, those were extra hard in, in you know, in the smaller, the enterprise. So um, with, without my previous experience, I'm, I'm not sure I, I you know, it, yeah. would have survived. Yeah. Who who's a person who had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Someone that you really looked up to? Well, um, the, the, you know the the great sort of inspiration in my life was my grandfather, mm. who was a uh, a Holocaust survivor. Oh wow! And was one of the most revered people, you know, uh, because he was he was totally selfless. And that's why people risked their lives to save him, uh, you know, from, he was, he and his wife were the only couple to survive their, their, their town. Wow. And, um, and, you know, he was the totally selfless person that always, you know, um, was great at understanding people and people, you know, flocked to him and uh, he, he was my model. What did how what tell me a little bit more about him that's interesting what what did he what were the stories he shared with you what did he teach you Well uh so he he um grew up in a a very tumultuous part of the world in in uh, the Baltic states when they changed you know hands mm-hmm. and and governments uh, regularly uh before the turn of the last century and then in the you know first half of the um the 20th century, and he worked as what would be the equivalent of a turnaround expert in in a bank. You know, so mm-hmm. when the bank made a loan and it didn't work out, you know, they send him in to fix the company and try and you know retrieve as much uh, the value as possible. And so he was always put into situations that were very difficult, uh, with lots of people with different expectations, and um, and he, he he was great at telling those stories and telling those stories in a way that you really could feel what uh, you know the people were thinking and, uh, and, and feeling and, and to make the changes that he had to to uh, turn around a, a lumber company or the very first uh, bus company with buses that always broke down because they were <laughs> so such a new technology and the like Wow. That's amazing. I love it. And it, it's, I love asking that question. And everybody always invariably goes back to a close relative almost 100% of the time. And I love hearing those stories because it is amazing how we're standing on their shoulders no matter what we do in our lives, right? I mean, it's just so amazing. Yeah. 
How much? And it's a huge gift to be able to, you know, have listened to those stories, you know, firsthand, and and you feel them. You know, they yeah. they always resonate with you forever. You know what? As as we go through, and you're talking to students all the time, and and every now and then I get to give a presentation to college age students, and and there's another um, friend of mine. He he's a former Marine. And he speaks and teaches leadership as well. And we've talked about this a handful of times. Our experiences when we talk to these young adults, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, and we talk about leadership, invariably they come up to us and they say, wow, no one's, I've never ta- no one's ever explained to me leadership in that way before. Kind of this common sense approach. They always think it's this, uh, um, you know, kind of command and control. It's about personality. It's about mm-hmm. charisma. It's about the position, the title, a corner office. Yeah. Talk to me about your, I mean, you're there on the front lines with these guys every day. And what, what's the sense? And how do they view and approach leadership? As opposed yeah, to maybe and, when we and were Another there. thing that they always think that it is a strategy. Yeah. You know, well, if you have a good strategy, then of course you're, you know, that you should be the leader. Right. And it's, and, and, and yet it's not. Uh, yet it's that's a leader has to have a vision, right. um, a, a vision of the future that's it's exciting to people. Now maybe it's exciting in the case of Marines that's you know you're, you're going to be the one that keeps me alive, <laughs> you <laughs> right. know. But ultimately, uh, a leader has to have you know that vision. In the case of a startup, it's. You know, hey, we're all going to work together and create these, you know, new capabilities or these better capabilities in, in the world, and uh, and we're going to feel very good about that, and maybe even get financially rewarded. But uh, without without that vision, then there's no reason to follow somebody. There seems to be a wave, or and maybe I've I've asked this with a few some folks. I'm curious what your take it is on it. There seems to be this new wave of entrepreneurship uh, with that group um, that maybe wasn't there 10, 15 years ago. What do you think of that? Am, am I seeing that, or am I just kind of coming to the party late? Well, no, um, there, there is um, this sense right now that uh, it's all about the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, well, with all these, you know, exciting capabilities and these very easy ways to create, you know, new applications or even, you know, even different types of companies with hardware and the like, um, with all these support services around, you know, all I need is my idea. And uh, when I hit my idea, I'm going to hit it big. And they're, they're dismissing the, the, the importance of people in this equation. Uh, and because the ideas are very highly valued at this instant in time, and you can get these valuation, overnight valuation sensations, you know, where, where a company is nine months old and sold for $3 million and hasn't really gone through a lot of the stages right. of maturity. But the big company that is spending the $3 billion is, you know, taking on that responsibility. So you get this you know, uh, distorted sense of what it takes. And and even the definition of what is success is um, simplified into, you know, some valuation statistic when classically, and I believe soon to be rediscovered again, the, you know, success isn't 
uh, you know, the ultimate valuation success is the fact that you produce value and that you create success for all those that are, you know, involved in the enterprise. Right. The sustainability piece is something that, um, yeah, it seems to be missing, I think. I, I hear what you're saying. You know, how do you get that kind of long-term legacy sustainability yeah. Well, and you know, it's it's success is defined as uh, a quick, you know, turnaround. And uh, hey, I had an idea, and I, you know, twelve of us got together and you know made an app, and it, you know, got a lot of users in a short period of time. But we have no idea what to do next. But we still get you know a couple billion dollars. Well, you know, that that's um, that makes you an entrepreneur but it doesn't make you an entrepreneurial leader. Right. I mean, if you're really going to have it and do this for the long haul, you really got to get some of the basics down on what it means to, to run an enterprise, right? I mean, and understanding the ins and outs of that, don't you? Absolutely. And, and, and that's, you know, it, it's really surprising how many entrepreneurs there are out there that, you know, can take their company to this certain level. Again, you know, sometimes on the Inc. 5000, but cannot take it any further, cannot create that self-sustainability, cannot keep their teams together, cannot, uh, you know, understand the differences between, you know, projects and processes and, you know, the, the, the organizational structures that, you know, facilitate uh, people working together to, you know, make a, a vision come true. You know, look on the flip side, I work in a, fairly large organization now, very large, very uh, just inherent because of the size. You're dealing with bureaucracy and a lot of processes, right? Yeah, um, a lot of processes. There, there is a call from higher leadership. In fact, I interviewed the CEO on the show, and, he, and he, he wants the company to be more entrepreneurial. You know, when I read this book, it kind of came crystal clear. I mean, some of the challenges that we're faced with that because mm-hmm. – and every time we start a new aircraft program, it's almost like it's a brand new startup in a sense, even though I'm on the, under the mm-hmm. umbrella of this bureaucratic company. But the problem is we try to apply these old legacy processes to, to what I'm seeing yeah. is almost a new startup. That That's what hit me crystal clear when I read this book. I mean, what what's your take yeah. on that? Well, uh, so big, big businesses um, miss a couple of essential parts. One of them is that, you know, when, when there's an idea, do not impose processes on it. Mm. It's pure project at that point in yeah. time. And the more processes you impose, the more mediocre you're making the product become. Um, Gosh, that is and, so true. You know, that That's like essential. The next thing that often happens is these handoffs, right? So, okay, the uh, you know in many companies the idea is formulated in an R and D group that's you right. know then one gets a go ahead they hand it off to the new product introduction group correct and what happens is is that you can't have this uh, uh, culture then build up around this product or service in such a way that it amplifies the effectiveness of the projects and processes. So you have it go from one culture to a completely different culture on a, you know, led by a different person. And that uh, means that there will be built-in inefficiencies in cost and in how things are done that will just amplify that, uh, you know, all, all those inefficient processes that were imposed in stage one. Right. And so um, that's why... Uh, 
you know, big companies have a hard time creating really exciting products. You know, they tend to be mediocre products. And it also is why as big companies that they cannot be as agile as, as their, you know, entrepreneurial competitors because they've, you know, require, you know, that these handoffs over and over again, that again, um, you know, de-emphasize the, the great parts of uh, their business model and, um, you know, for, force it into existing, you know, square holes and like. So is the answer in this, like the case like that is like when you start this new project, like you said, and, and understanding you go into great, and I love this part of the book, you, you go into great detail of, of understanding the difference between projects and processes. That's the yeah. And, um, and that's something that I see in businesses too, is that, that it, you know, kind of the kiss of death, like you said, is trying to impose processes in the early stages. Um, it, that, that just generates all kinds of churn and, yeah. and that's unnecessary bureaucracy. When you haven't understood what it is that the customer really values about your new idea, you know, and how you're going to morph your, that idea into something that's really exciting for the customer, how, how do you know what processes right. are exactly. going to be efficient? How do you know? It's impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, it's just like, this is a great piece of work. You know, I don't know, I, and I see some of the feedback you got on the back, and, you know, this is new, but I think this is going to be a go-to for a lot of people. I think this is almost a primer for anybody who's interested in sustainable entrepreneurship. I think it's that good, Derek. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what kind of feedback you're getting from everybody else, but uh, I think it's a great, great achievement that you've, that you've put out. Well, I, I really appreciate that. I, I have been getting a lot of good feedback, a lot of, you know, sort of like, why, why hasn't anybody said this before? <laughs> exactly, uh, right. And, um, you know, I'm trying to get the word out. Yeah, so, it's uh, it's one of those books that, like you said, I mean, and, and that's when you know you've got a great book is when, like you said, when somebody reads it, it's almost like when a, some a product comes out. It's like, well, why didn't I invent that? Well, this is what yeah. this is one of those books, and uh, the other one that's really did it for me, and I I talk about it a lot in the show was when I first read Jim Collins Good to Great, especially the chapter yeah. five on level five leadership. This has yeah. that same feel to me when I read certain things. I'm like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to say that I just I just couldn't get it out right, and so you you've yeah. done a great job articulating it. So so kudos to you on this piece of work. Thank you very much. Well, where can people get in touch with you, Derek? How can people find you? Well, uh, I have a website, DerekLido.com, D-E-R-E-K-L-I-D-O-W.com, where um, they can learn more about the book. I do post blogs on uh, discussing things in the book. I have some additional materials that they can download for free. You know, uh, ultimately, my mission is really to help uh, entrepreneurs be successful and make that important transition into an entrepreneurial leader. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not out for. I don't have a consulting firm or anything like that. It's um, just my passion to help people be successful at this and uh, to reduce the unnecessary traumas and waste that uh, <laughs> so many people have to go through to learn these things. Well, gosh, what a pleasure to meet you, Derek, and I'm so glad you came on the show. I'd love to uh, have you back at some other point and collaborate with you on other things. I'm so glad to have finally met you. It's my pleasure, and I really look forward to you know an ongoing, long relationship. So, Absolutely. Uh, until until our next project together, you know, um, thank you, and uh, can't wait until the you know we do it again. All right, sounds good. Thanks for coming on the show. Okay, Bye-bye. thanks, Richard. 
Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.